And I think that is the path of the feminine. You just said it, right? It's deep listening. And, and that is, I think, what, as I observe, I've worked with thousands of people over 20 years. And that is the common denominator, what you just said there. And I see that whether somebody's healing through their journey of cancer or Lyme disease or depression or trauma or no matter what it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, all, all together, individually or all together, whatever layer is being touched, it's when a person comes to that place of, ah, I can hear my inner wisdom. Or I have no choice but to hear my inner wisdom. That is typically, that's when I know as a clinician, they have just positioned their compass towards healing, right? That's when things will change is just at that moment. And, um, that's key. That's, that's instrumental because our deep listening, you listening to your voice, me listening to my voice, that is how the soul of nature speaks through us and to us, right? That that wisdom, that all-encompassing wisdom that speaks through the earth. You can call it cosmic divine intelligence. You can call it God. You can call it goddess. That is what will guide us home always. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw, deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, goddesswell.co. Goddesswell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self, specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power, specifically focusing on PMS, menopause, hormone and moon support, and urinary tract health. So what I love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high, high quality of CBD that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the Harmony line for harmony and mood. There's the Radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the Serenity line for UTI relief. And each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid. 
and I say a little prayer and I connect with the medicine and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils and I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey. And I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. So what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood, is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself, and she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code sisterhood and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. I am very excited to be with Serafina Capranos today. She is a clinical herbalist, homeopath, an initiated priestess with a practice spanning over two decades, as well as being deeply engaging as a teacher and a speaker. She has a clinical practice on Salt Spring Island. A unique blend of gifts straddle the vast worlds of plant medicine, homeopathy, and ritual and ceremonial practice. She is a sought-after international teacher and the founder of the Center for Sacred Arts. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here and to dive into this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Such a gift to be here. So from reading your bio, I can kind of get the sense that you are a world bridger. Like while you have this sense of going into the unseen realms and the realms of an initiated priestess, you know, like I believe that those realms are more of the unseen, but then you also work with your hands, you work in the dirt, you work in the the magic of the plants and the garden. And so I'm curious about how this journey began for you and, and what's led you to kind of become this bridge that you are. Yeah. I mean, it goes right back to my childhood. I was raised by a mother who raised us with herbs and um, we weren't raised with any mainstream religion. I'd say my, my mom and her parents were very much of the old world and God to them was in the plants and in the sun and in the seasons. And that played a huge role in my life and in my upbringing and influenced so much of who I am. And it was when I was about 14 that I began to feel things, sense things, question things. And I would, I was having intuitive flashes that scared me. And I would, one memory in particular, I was 14 or 15 and I had a, a girlfriend who had a bad cough and I put my hand on the back of her, on the back, on her back. And I said, Oh, you have pneumonia. And I don't know where that came from. Two days later, she came, she called and she said, how did you know that? And uh, I, I didn't have an answer and it freaked me out. So I was about 14 years old when I encountered my first shaman. I said to my mom, I need guidance. I need to know what is happening and what do I do with this information? How do I manage it? How do I work with it? So my teen years were very much about full of synchronicity. It was before the internet. And I would be introduced to healers, partly through my mom's spiritual group, partly through serendipity. And my teens, I was essentially apprenticing, you could say, with mediums and 
what we would call medical intuitives as a way to learn how to work with my own energy and my own intuition because it scared me. I had my friends drinking and partying and I wanted to do some of that too as a teenager, but my life completely cast me in another direction. And then when I was 17, I experienced a, a spinal injury and I was in bed for many months. And thanks to my mom, I was deepening my spiritual practice and wanting to understand that bridge of how do I work with energy and how do I have it such that it can influence my physical health and my physical body. And so it was between age 17 and 20 where I really dove into that bridge. How do we work with energy in such a way that it has a physical manifestation? How can we change health? How can we change illness by working with extrasensory gifts? So that's where I began. It was difficult. It was hard. And now as an adult in my 40s, I can look back and give so much gratitude to my upbringing and my past, but it was difficult. And um, that was essentially what cast me on the journey of wanting to bring the unseen world, the other world, and to have it make more sense for people who might feel lost, just like I did and how I was at 14. And then as somebody who's a Taurus with five planets in the second house, I'm very much all about the earth and all about making magic practical. Hmm. What a blessing that you had the mother that you did that could guide you and direct you towards these teachers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. It was a journey. And when I was 20, just at the threshold of coming into adulthood, that's when my father died a very tragic death. And Mm -hmm. uh, based on a dream, I moved to New Mexico to Santa Fe to work with a, a shaman. And that cast my 20s. It marked my 20s. On the, I was on this deep 10-year journey, really, of diving into Toltec shamanism. But always, like you say, I was always interested in bridging the worlds. I didn't want to only stay in the esoteric. As somebody who was a kid and growing up, it's, it, it was challenging to be so steeped in the other world when I still wanted um, to be, quote unquote, normal. A lot of my teens and 20s, I was trying to be normal and have normal experiences um, like any other young adult and teen. And so that's partly where I, I wanted, I found community. And that was a beautiful thing in my 20s, finding other people who were like me, you could say spiritual seekers, but wanting to bridge that world where we could also bring it out into the everyday life. And that's what I teach. And that's what I'm passionate about. I think being able to be flexible and being able to have our deep spiritual teachings contribute to a whole integrated life is the gift. That's the path. I'm curious about your your journey into going to New Mexico and embarking on a study of Toltec shamanism. I have never heard of Toltec shamanism, and so maybe you can share a little bit about what that was like for you and perhaps a little of the tradition. Absolutely. So most famously is the book, the Toltec book, The Four Agreements, written by Don Miguel Riz. And so he is probably the most well-known Toltec teacher in the world, he and his son. And how Don Miguel explains it is the Toltecs, they were not so much a race. They were a group of people who were looking for truth. 
and they were all kinds of people of all different races and religions, and they would pilgrimage to Teotihuacan in Mexico. And the Toltec practice, specifically Toltec shamanism, is about shedding what he calls or what the Toltecs call the dream. That is the nightmare, the, the consensus reality that we've all bought into, the, what we now would call the modern world. And the Toltecs believe we create this, this hell, which is the split off and the separation from the spiritual world. And the practice of Toltec, I, I call it a internal martial art in the sense that you are giving death to who you think you are, who society tells you are, who you are, and all the, the domestication, right? And you give death to that. And it's a practice of shedding. You use your breath, you use your body as a way to shed all those different layers to essentially reveal who you really are, your true essence. And when we reach that alignment and that congruency with our true essence, we can live our true purpose. And this may sound altruistic, but there's a practical beauty to it, right? And in many ways, I feel like um, some of the best modern day psychology does this too, of this shedding of who you are and the domestication and the voices of other people that are layering you so much that all that negative self-talk, all that self-criticism all that psychological pain and psychic pain is not you. It's how we maybe have over-identified, but it's not who you are. It's not what you are. And so the Toltec practice is shedding all of that, but it's for the purpose to serve. It's for the purpose to be a good human, not a perfect human. It's not transcendent in that way but as a means to live in congruency and in, in good, right relationship with all beings on the earth. And they say it's a path of liberation and a path of freedom. And the reason it's a path of freedom, when I think back to myself in my 20s, I was angry, I was mad, I was, I was still experiencing trauma from my father's death and the repercussions of what happened. I was missing home. I was an emotional wreck. And through the practice of Toltec, you're reclaiming your energy, right? You're reclaiming all that emotional material, which is volumes of energy. You're reclaiming that back and you're giving it to the earth. And then you're also giving back other people's energy, right? So your partner, your friend, the neighbor who gave you a dirty look, the person at the grocery store who yelled at you, you're giving all their energy back. And essentially you're doing this, it becomes automatic, right? So it becomes automatic and it becomes a very powerful consciousness where you're living in deep presence. And to have spent my twenties doing that, I'm not perfect, but certainly it's given me a toolkit that is, um, it, it's an ability to have second attention. So I'm having this conversation with you and I'm aware of the part of me that's watching us have this conversation. It's like a double vision. And like many people listening today, you may be able to sense how somebody's doing emotionally, but there's a way in which you're not taking it on or you're not getting tripped up in that, right? So many people who are sensitive, in tune to their feminine essence are aware they can read a room. They know who, they know who in the room had a bad day, who might have just had a fight, who's depressed, who's in pain. And that can be a huge burden, right? It can be our gift, but it can also be our burden. 
And so the Toltec path is to be able to essentially be aware of it, have that double vision where we're aware, but we're not taking it on. We're not wearing it. And we have the ability to create a healthy separation through an energy practice so that we can be at rest and ultimately at peace and not wasting our energy with the psychic drain of constantly being in reaction. Mm. So that's a little intro of Toltec. And so you were studying that for the greater part of your 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for 10 years. And then what happened after that? Yeah, so in the mix, kind of in, in also in my early 20s, I connected with, gosh, so much happened. I was 19, and I studied with Susan Weed, a herbalist in up, upstate New York. I went to herbal school. I also went to homeopathy school. In there was university as well. I had a moment where I thought I wanted to be a regular medical doctor. But through pain and through healing, which is a whole other story, I ended up going to homeopathy school, which in many ways, homeopathy school, good classical education is like, it's a combination of alchemy, medical practice, and the deep secret teachings of plants. It's quite mystical, actually, as much as it is practical. And that's my love. And that's what I've devoted my life to is balancing the mystical and the practical. So my my health practice, my clinical practice is that as well. And then as life threw me on the path of uh, the priestess training, which I mainly had through uh, the reclaiming tradition. And so most people know Starhawk, who's quite well known, and she, along with others, birthed what's called the reclaiming tradition in 1979. And I fell into that community through serendipity, you could say. And some of my best teachers, Willow Kelly and Suzanne Sterling and Gwydion Logan, Urania, they all were some of my key teachers for many, many years. And I eventually went on to being initiated and teaching at witch camps for a long, long time. Uh, and I still teach. So that's going on 15 years, probably teaching in that community, in the reclaiming community. So a lot of my life has been devoted to these practices and braiding them all together, braiding the plant path, braiding the priestess path, the Toltec path. And it, it has a life of its own, right? There were so many years where I fought and I almost fought against this path where I wanted to be normal. I just wanted, you know, in, in some ways to have a normal job and maybe be a, a, a doctor and have the normal life. But Every time I put one more foot on that path, life just seemed to pick me up and to cast me down this powerful initiatory journey that has been filled with challenge, but also so much beauty and gift. And I think that's how the goddess works. I think that's how the soul of the world works, is that when we're listening, we are cast on our path. It's when we ignore our path that we get served, right? We get, we get, cha life just pr presents challenge after challenge. And I know that from experience, every time I tried to ignore my path, that's when I got sick or I had some kind of major event happen. Is that relatable for you too? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I, I'm relating to your story so much because it's like, you know, I was 17 when I just wanted to be liked by everybody. I've always kind of been different, but I went on this whole phase of wanting to be liked and be normal. 
And then I just got really sick and I just kept getting sicker because I just kept ignoring. And then eventually I got Lyme disease and that was super hard and really intense with my partner at the time, which was like a whole interesting karmic journey as well. And yeah, I spent my entire 20s trying to get better. But his mother was the one who introduced me to like alternative healing modalities. And so I met all my Mm. teachers. The dad also kind of played a role and they kind of initiated me into this alternative path. So I got sick with my ex. His parents in their own way initiated me and introduced me to this entire community. And and actually through the separation is how I actually learned to listen because for the first Mm -hmm. time I had to. I didn't have a choice. And it was healing exactly. me, listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I think that is the path of the feminine. You just said it, right? It's deep listening. And, and that is, I think, what, as I observe, I've worked with thousands of people over 20 years. And that is the common denominator, what you just said there. And I see that whether somebody's healing through their journey of cancer or Lyme disease or depression or trauma, or no matter what it is, physical, emotional, spiritual, all all together, individually or all together, whatever layer is being touched, it's when a person comes to that place of, ah, I can hear my inner wisdom, or I have no choice but to hear my inner wisdom. That is typically, that's when I know as a clinician they have just positioned their compass towards healing, right? That's when things will change, is just at that moment. And um, that's key. That's, that's instrumental because our deep listening, you listening to your voice, me listening to my voice, that is how the soul of nature speaks through us and to us, right? That, that wisdom, that all-encompassing wisdom that speaks to the earth. You can call it cosmic divine intelligence. You can call it God. You can call it goddess. That is what will guide us home always. And I think it's that separation that, and that going back to what I was saying in the beginning with Toltec and the domestication and having to kind of pull all those layers off of our body of not listening, of not knowing how to listen, of not being able to find that inner voice. That is what leads to pain and suffering, the wrong relationships, the wrong job, all of that. But it's the path home, the path of healing and learning how to trust ourselves again to listen. That is, I believe, one of our greatest, that's what the earth is calling for. It's The earth is calling all of us to task, to do just that. And we have to. And when we do, and when we will, we're doing service work like what you're doing, like what I'm doing. And that is how we add our drop in the ocean of healing uh, and healing the earth. And we need that collective consciousness to rise, right? And that's how it's done is to listen to nature speaking to us through us through what we call that inner wisdom, that inner voice. So can you share some practical ways to begin to learn to listen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I teach people is to find their own way. It's finding their own way home. And for some people, it's sitting in silent meditation. Others, it's journaling. Others can't sit still. I'm not one who will tell everyone to meditate. Some people need to move. Get into nature in some way and follow your curiosity. 
And gosh, I can think of so many students. One, it is drawing nature, sitting in nature and drawing music, dance, but not following anyone else's form, right? Find your freedom inside a form and listen to your own calling. And I think that's so important that people listen to their own calling, their own way home. For you, it might be interviewing other people, right? And every drop of wisdom you hear, it evokes and wakes something up in you. And so everyone has their form, their art form, and it's about following that creativity. But what I do teach is to be cautious in listening to the negative self-talk, because that isn't you. And I'm capital Y you, that isn't you. The criticism, the negativity, the mean, harsh self-talk, that isn't the true essence. That is a swallowed lie that we have inherited from the culture. And that culture might be the culture of your family home or the culture of the wider culture that you're raised in. But whatever it is, as you're doing your art form, as you're, as you are embarking on your path, the nature, God, goddess speaks through us through kindness and love. And it's when we get into that consciousness, doing art, dance, speaking to others, being in a, a communal practice or a solo practice. That's how we begin to cultivate that inner knowing and that inner voice. And the other thing I, I like to teach people, and I see this with individuals in my practice who are experiencing chronic debilitating pain or illness, is to do at least one thing a day that brings you joy, pure joy, and not the shoulds. Because when we are stepping into that joy, that practice of joy, funny movies, art, again, music, resting, and we give the inner self-critic a rest, and we tell it to go hang out somewhere else, that's when our vitality can expand. When we're in the consciousness of joy, when we're in the practice of ease, and when we're in a practice of self-love. And that is ultimately the greatest path home, right? Is self-love, which is self-acceptance. And then the other thing that I teach, there's a number of practices that I teach, but one of them that's so simple and accessible is grounding meditations and a practice I call the green breath, which is kind of like a, a guided meditation. And the reason guided meditation, or in some traditions you call it trance or hypnosis, it's so useful because it allows our nervous system to settle down. And anytime we engage the parasympathetic zone, so that's the rest and digest, the place we go when we meditate, healing can happen. And we're able to get underneath story that is underneath the monkey mind. And when we're able to get under the monkey mind in that place of grounded alignment, in that place of, again, that coming home practice, we become more aligned to it. It becomes more familiar, right? When we're able to come to that place of parasympathetic rest and digest, that place of meditation daily, regularly, that place of slow and quiet and deep, it becomes more familiar and it becomes more habitual. And that's when we begin to almost court or re-engage that voice of inner knowing and our deep wisdom that is there all the time. It's just hidden under all the noise of the consensus reality. It's been a journey for me of learning how to listen because when I started to listen, all I heard were so many voices. 
And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm appreciating the Toltec wisdom that you brought here, but they're really like letting that go. And right now I'm at another turn in the spiral where I'm starting to see that it's not me. For the first time, I'm noticing how distinctly different these voices voices are from the capital S self that I experience. And it actually, it's interesting we're having this conversation, but this is how this podcast works, is that, you know, I, I experienced something very deeply. So for the past 12 hours, I was experiencing this very intense, like suffering voice. And so it was like, you're not worthy, you're bad, you're this, da 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 all night, like through my dreams. And um, I actually had a dream. <laughs> feels vulnerable because I wasn't going to talk about this, but here we are. Um, I had a dream that I was in a prison, and I was not I was not an inmate, but I was visiting inmates. And I just remember like thinking how awful it must be to just like be so confined in this like man-made prison. And I'm walking through the prison, I'm walking by these inmates, and all of a sudden, I just start screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming. And, you know, I think my soul is trying to get my attention, but this was also coinciding with these, like, these these strong voices of, like, I'm not good, I'm not worthy, like, I'd wake up and kind of be in this, like, interesting soup of suffering. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting how, you know, on the path of liberating yourself, you face such darkness. And sometimes it's it's surprising. I feel like I've been doing such good work. But there's a part of my soul that I feel like as of late that I'm really needing to shed, as you're talking about in the Toltec tradition, like really just like let go and be brave and like come out, come out as myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it okay if I ask a few questions about this dream? I think it's such a good teaching moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please. So when you were screaming, do you remember what, what, what were you seeing? What else was there in that part of the dream? In that moment, I just felt like this, just like deep pain of like, kind of like this hellscape that I sometimes am just so confused that I'm even in. And the prisoners, can you describe them or can you say what you imagined they were feeling or what they were experiencing? Uh-huh. All men depleted. Like for me, I have been to a prison before and I have compassion for these people, you know, that they are now labeled for the worst thing they've ever done and like what that must do to someone. And so I have this feeling of compassion towards these people. And also seeing their innocence somehow too, uh, but also mm-hmm. their confinement, their never-ending torture that they've been placed in. Yeah. So that's a healing dream. You're describing a healing dream. And why I'm saying that is because your soul wanted to shock you awake, right? Scary dreams, nightmares, disturbing images like this. They're a part of our psyche, which is our nature, is trying to get your attention and wake you up. And to wake you up to see that there's a part of your innocence that is confined and depleted. That's a, 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 that word, 
had some strength behind it when you said it. So this yang, okay, if we're going to just talk elements, they were presented as male. The yang part of you, yang is like full of fire, passion, creativity, is confined and depleted and has been judged, right? They're behind bars, they're in prison. So they've been judged. And yet your self with a capital S is witnessing that part of you and screaming, right? Screaming, I imagine, for a kind of justice, for those parts of yourself to be open to. And I think it's very powerful that you shared this dream right after saying you found yourself in a spiral through this full moon past couple days of those voices that put ourself in confinement. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. How's that landing? It's a blessing, honestly, because, <laughs> because I needed you to help me see that. But it makes so much sense because, you know, this path of global sisterhood and me leaving this corporate setting I was in and um, very masculine. I was in the finance world and venture capital, lots of money, lots of power, lots of structure. And then I just dove into the feminine. I was like, this is what I need. I need the feminine. I need to heal my own feminine. I need to reclaim my feminine. And I've done that. And I'm at this crossroads right now where I'm reclaiming all of myself. And I'm reclaiming the, the masculine part of me that kind of got pushed away and judged, you know, for a long time and belittled and all these things. And I'm reclaiming that masculine essence right now. Like I'm, I'm healing the relationship with my dad and I'm forgiving these men that I felt, you know, kind of inflicted something upon me. And so that makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I think a, a part of me is scared, you know, like of, so I'm having a hard time. Well, actually, I think I'm having a pretty good time listening because it's like it's coming through reflection, it's coming through spirit, it's coming through. But it's, I feel like this is some of the hardest medicine I've had to take is just like facing the beauty of who I am. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like you're also on the journey of healing the internalized patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Which again is so symbolic of the dream you just shared. Uh, that dream, we could, if we gave it a title, <laughs> One of the titles I might give it is Patriarchy Internalized, how we weaponize that against ourselves. And it's it's deep. Obviously, you're not doing this consciously, but there's that internalization. A judge, you're not good enough. You're not lovable enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're not popular enough. That is the internalized patriarchy. And when I use the word patriarchy, Obviously, I'm not talking about male-bodied people, but the overculture, that so-called modern world that we've co-constructed together through generations. And that's what we weaponize ourselves with. And we take in those swallowed lies, and then we, we imprison and confine ourselves, right? And I appreciate you sharing your healing journey. You, it sounds like you are on that leg of integration, right? You've healed and reclaimed your feminine. You're doing very feminine work in the world. And now there's, there's those other lost parts that your dream showed you that are the next piece. Mm. 
And that's, that's powerful. And that is a, I think it's powerful for everyone listening to hear the story you just shared because it's relatable and it's what is necessary. We can't hide in, we can't hide in any one dimension. We have to do that full integration work. And that includes, as you said earlier, witnessing all that internalization, witnessing the inner voices where we harm ourselves, right? And that is the next piece because it matters where we're operating from. Are we in reaction, right? You know what it feels like when someone's doing so-called healing work, but they're in reaction to their shadow or they're in reaction to their fear. I think that's where most of us begin. But the next layer is what you're describing, which is get on my knees. Damn, I still have all those voices. There's still that negative self-talk. There's still ways in which I imprison myself. And that's, that's the deepening, right? That's the deepening. And so to bring it back to healing is a spiral. It's not a straight line. And healing is a way of coming home to ourselves and being able to be at rest with ourselves and to be able to spend more time in that parasympathetic node of the nervous system. What I mean by that is that rest, calm, peaceful place in our nervous system, which is the yin or the feminine, which is the vibration of alignment with the earth. And when our nervous system is able to spend more time there, that is where we can come into alignment, congruency with that voice of inner wisdom, right? And, and just imagine everyone who's listening, imagine for a minute if most of us spent time there. It's powerful. That's why we love animals so much because they spend time there, right? That's why we romanticize and sometimes even culturally appropriate indigenous communities because they spend more time there, right? That's what it feels like to be in relationship with the sacred order of all things. That's what that feels like. And we, us modern people, we have the ability, it's encoded in our DNA. We have the ability to remember. We just need guidance sometimes. And that's why we do what you and I just did, right? We modeled that for one another in five quick minutes, modeling how we can help each other find our way home. Because encoded in our DNA is that way of remembering. And that's, I think, ultimately what we're here to do is to guide our, all, all of us, guide each other home to that place of deep remembering. Hmm. So for those of us that are curious about how to become more in touch with ourselves, you know, to, to deepen our practice, you know, I imagine that there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that don't have accessible community that understands what it is that they're going through, understands their dreams, you know, can support them. And so I'm curious, like how people can support themselves as they move through this journey. Yeah. Well, gosh, we're living in a time, and I think your podcast and your community is one of them, where there's these beacons, right? There's these places where you can find community. And I think the work you're doing is paramount to that seeding sisterhoods, seeding communities. Um, and I'm doing my own version of that. Right now I have the Rosenroot Priestess Apprenticeship, which just opened. It's online and it's doing work similar to what we're talking about here. 
and my company, the Center for Sacred Arts, there's some free audio meditations there that people can find. And we're offering programs in the upcoming year. So there's a lot that people can do to plug into, I think, through communities like yours and like mine. And I want to just like, I, I do want to emphasize for people that we are social primates and we, we can do a lot on our own. But I believe there's deep medicine in coming together and it requires bravery to come together, right? It requires bravery to open and be honest about where you're at and to stretch and find community, whether that be online or whether that be locally. But I think it's important. And what I noticed, I remember when I was, gosh, 22 or something, and it was the very first time in one of my circles where I was honest, just like you were honest with me today, which I really appreciated. Like, man, like I've got this negative self-talk and I'm crippled with insecurity and anxiety. And I remember feeling like no one would like me because I admitted those ugly things about myself. And the complete opposite happened, where at lunchtime, everyone came up to me and said, oh my gosh, me too. That took so much courage to say. And it ended up meeting some of my best friends, who are still my best friends today, by braving honesty. So that's something I want to share with everyone listening, is there is power in vulnerability, because vulnerability is truth. And when people re people resonate with truth, Right. And when people resonate together, we heal together and we experience true intimacy through friendship, through community. It's healing. And I think that's what the world needs. Because you do witch work, I want to talk about, you know, the history of witches and, you know, what happened through the burning times and, and perhaps get a little into how that affects us in present day and how us modern day witches can really like own our power and and all of the the beauty that comes with that work. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, so many of us carry that witch wound. It's still prevalent today. I mean, the witches were the healers. They were the ones who could have the conversations that we're having today and knew the way of nature, knew the way, knew how to listen to nature, how to read the signs of nature and then do good, heal. I think it's important to give some context that in the pre-modern era, it wasn't quite the Middle Ages, the Burning Times, people think it was, but it was technically called the pre-modern era. That was a time where if you were sick, if you had anything physically wrong with you, you went to the priest. And illness was considered usually a, a kind of possession, if you will. And so to know the way of herbs and healing, uh, psychic emotional healing, was definitely considered the work of the devil. And in the arc of human, of human history, in the big picture, humans have been on earth for thousands and tens and tens of thousands of years. The witch burnings were only a couple hundred years ago. That's a drop in time. And so, of course, so many of us still carry the shame and the charge. I'm teaching a, a weekend intensive called the elements of magic uh, in this month. And we explore witchcraft. It's basically a weekend introduction. It's in person. It's a weekend introduction into witchcraft. And I can't tell you how many people it sold out pretty much immediately. But at the very same time, everyone who registered said, I'm not quite sure how I feel about the word witch. I'm nervous. I, I want to come. I really want to come, but I'm nervous. 
I don't know if I quite consider myself a witch, but maybe. And every year that I teach this, I get this, those same emails. And it's because we're still living in the shadow of that time. That was a blip. That was only a couple generations ago, really more than a couple, but, um, we all remember that pain. But what's critical is by reclaiming that we carry knowledge and we are here to be at service to the earth and to humanity. I think that there's a way that's is, there is a way that we can kind of clean off that word, if you will, and reclaim it for what it means, which is a wise person who knows how to live and dance and breathe and create with the forces of nature. And that's really what it means, put very simply. That's what it means. For, I'd love to hear more about your work with the plants and how the plants have taught you and helped you remember and like our innate connection to the plants. Yeah. You know, one thing I've, I've come to conclude in working, teaching and working with people for two decades is so much of our lives are, are um, shaped by the memory we carry in our DNA. A lot of what we experience almost isn't personal to the me, right? It's, it's truly what we carry in our DNA. So what I mean by that is, um, gosh, the very first herbal class I taught was maybe 15, 16, 17 years ago. And I remember passing around a herb for everyone to taste, put a little bit on your tongue. These were all beginners. To my amazement, all these so-called beginners began to tell me what this herb is used for. And I remember sitting there thinking, is this happening? How are these people picking this up? And they all could feel it. They could feel my lungs are opening. It reminds me of my grandmother. I'm having a memory of this holiday. I'm suddenly feeling grief. I'm suddenly feeling all these emotions. And this was a basic introductory to herbalism class. This wasn't a witchy class. This wasn't any, this was not my priestess training. And it was that moment. And then I thought, well, maybe that was just this one group. So maybe the next group won't quite, but it happened over and over and over every introductory class I taught. And finally, it was five or six years into teaching where I came out where and I started to call my program the alchemy of herbal medicine. And I kind of reclaimed that I was doing a lot more than just telling you how to make cough syrups. And it was because I was able to hold space. And I believe it was partly my presence that carries us from other lifetimes. But it was able to show up in this room of people because they could remember. And so plants have taught me that they are teachers and they carry a whole history of knowledge, of power. And once again, just like being still with ourselves, finding our creativity, finding intimacy and real relationships, plants are another medium and another guide and teacher to remembering, reminding us what it is to be human on this earth today, which is to be in relationship with all things. And my observation, and I see this with um, grannies who live in the woods near where I live, they have such a deep sense of purpose and meaning in life because they're in relationship with all living things. And I believe that is our path in terms of human fulfillment 
and our purpose. Our purpose is not necessarily connected to how we make money in the world. Our purpose is to how in relationship we are with all things, with the power of all things, seasons, the sun, the moon, the waters of the world, the rivers and the oceans, the plants, the animals, each other, right? We're meant to be in relationship. I'm one of those people who believes human beings are actually keystone species. I think we're critical to ecological balance. We're way off that course, but when we are congruent with ourselves and when we're in this vibrational signature that I'm talking about here today with you, when we're there, we can, and we have the potential to contribute and add and bring benefit to ecological balance. But it requires this congruency that I'm talking about. It requires this coming home to ourselves. So to circle back to plants, that's what they've taught me. Plants have taught me that we can hear their language. Plants have taught me that they have a lot of stories to tell and they are teachers. And as we get to know even just one plant, if all you did is get to know one plant in all of your life, but you really took it on as a teacher and you began to listen like dandelion, you began to pay attention to how tap roots reach down and pull up minerals. And you began to take in the teaching of dandelion and how it regulates water and hydration and pollinates the bees and is food. If you took all those teachings in, it would give you so many answers to life, just one plant. And then imagine if you could do that with five plants or 10. And then imagine if and when you could make your own medicine and feed your family understanding how dandelion played a role in pollination and food security and understanding how the dandelion could also heal your liver and help regenerate new liver cells and balance your kidneys and move cellular waste. And it did all that for your body, but it was also doing all that for the earth because human bo- the human being is part of nature and part of the earth. So what plants do for our bodies, they do for the earth and vice versa, right? So they are deep teachers, plants. Hmm. I love what you just shared about how they're doing it for the earth and they're doing it for us and vice versa. You know, I've thought a lot about how the extraction of like core minerals from certain places in the earth like must be impacting <laughs> the field that the earth has. Like there's this mountain in in Bolivia where my mother's line is from and they've extracted so much silver from this mountain that you can literally make a bridge of silver from this mountain in Bolivia all the way to Spain and back. And I imagine that just if you were to extract something from your own human body and mm-hmm. then to like scatter it everywhere, like it's going to impact the field, the relational field. Of and course. so when you, when you shared that about the plants and how they do the healing work too, and the cleansing to the soil and all these kinds of things, it just, I don't know, like I, in one way I know that, but it brought this whole other level of seeing Yeah, it's powerful. I mean, I think I wish everyone learned that in school because it would give you so much insight into what's happening outside your backyard. Like alder trees, for example, they're outside my window here and they tell the story of that probably within a decade ago, they, that part of the earth was bulldozed and the alder trees come. They're like paramedics of the forest. They come and they fix nitrogen Mm -hmm. and they bring water right? Every, every tree, every plant has a story like that. So that's what I mean. There, there's so much power and storytelling happening all around us. And what I teach and what I'm passionate and devo- devote my life to is to 
for myself to keep learning to understand and read the signs of nature. That is the definition of a witch. And then to teach that, right? Help to reclaim that because we would feel less alone. Just like you said, you look at that mountain and you know the story that the mountain is telling by that silver extraction. But what I, where my mind went is I now want to go and understand what plants show up immediately after the extraction. Mm. Right? What plants show up? What plants move in? Because I can promise you some plants are moving in. And then what are the plants that happen that show up after that? Right? What are the secondary? And then the, the, what happens in the third level? So, and what plants are doing for the earth? Like plants, for example, that are invasive species that go in and take over. They usually are plants that carry some of the most important anti-cancer compounds or, interestingly, uh, they're a remedy for Lyme disease. So, for example, that relates to relates to you is Japanese knotweed. It's one of the most invasive species plants. And where does it grow? It grows in places like New Jersey. It first started popping up there. Where? Where Lyme disease was first discovered. And what does it have? It has compounds that are used for Lyme disease treatment. So do you see how where there's ecological imbalance, plants will come in to try to restore that area? And if we know how to read the land and we know how we have a knowledge of plants, we'll be able to read that story that the plant is trying to tell. It's so incredible to think about how, you know, of course the plants are connected. They're unlike us, they're present to the surroundings, the natural surroundings and and how they're coming in to help us so that like we can't see it because often we're like, oh no, there's this weed better get rid of it but they're telling a story i love that Mm -hmm. they sure are very literally and this is something where i praise ecologists and i praise botanists and marine biologists and all these scientists who know this science is very magical and very powerful and profound the earth sciences and many many scientists are uh, trying to get this word out one in particular i'd like to speak her name because she's such a powerful teacher and I hope everyone goes out and buys her book and and her name is Diana Beresford Kroger and she wrote a book called To Speak for the Trees and she's one of the most prolific scientists who's discovered a lot of important medication um, but she's a warrior for the forests and she was apprenticed by the old Celtic wise people in her country and then went on to become a renowned scientist. But she's she speaks about this. She speaks about the importance of these plants and how they are playing a role in ecological balance in the health of our bodies. And we are a mirror for the nature, right? And even you having experienced Lyme disease, that was and is ecological imbalance speaking through your body, right? Because you, we are organs of the earth. And... I want to bring in because it's important that the earth has the answer and like like the story of Japanese knotweed it carries the the medicine and the remedy for Lyme disease as well. Hmm. What I love about our conversation Serafina and is your gift of being able to see things. It's like I I saw you do this with my dream and with the plants there's like this way and it's probably the Toltec training too, that's like allows you to see more clearly. I feel like your sight is just 
really beautiful and really expansive and tells stories. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do credit that ability um, is largely my Toltec training. And I would say, I think it's also that I've had one foot very much in the earthly realm, working with sick bodies for 20 years as a clinician. And at the same, my other foot was in, has been in the realm of mysticism for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think that's largely what it is that you're picking up on. Thank you. I'm curious about like where you are now and what, like in your personal life, like what, what questions do you have open? Like, what are you currently pondering? And I'm curious about your process with that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I, the questions that I have open are how much is written, right? How much is written in, in the cosmos for us individually as humans? How much free will is there? And, and then how much is just predestined? And that's a question I have. And I don't know the answer, but it's a question I sit with and I live with the question. I wonder about that in my personal life. I wonder about that in the fate of humanity. And I, I'm somebody, I love history and, uh, I, I kind of have, I have an Aquarius rising. So my mind can go big and wide. And so I, I read a lot of history. I like learning because I think it gives us answers to the future for, to now and to the future. And of course, I've spent a lot of my time getting to know the, the gods and the goddesses in particular on my father's side. I have Greek Turkish heritage. So the Greek pantheon I'm curious about. And, you know, all throughout history and what the Greek gods tell us is there have been floods, there have been burnings, there have been, you know, mass destruction. And so one of the questions I hold is, is the time we're in, is it really unique? And how much of this has happened before? And so where are we in the arc of time? Really, where are we? Where are we in the cosmic web? And how much influence do we have in changing the course and the direction? So those are the kinds of questions I live with. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. I understand this one about fate and free will. It's actually something I've been recently sitting with. And it's so interesting, right? Because I'm sure you've experienced this too, like the magic in the path. Like there's so much magic, like even having this conversation with you today, I'm like, wow, that was a key for me to see like this next layer. And so I'm like, you know, is that because of these actions that I've taken? Because I'm starting to listen and so the path then unfolds? Or is it because it was already meant to be? And this is just, so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting unfolding. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about the time of the feminine. This is, you know, I feel that in myself, you know, my rising feminine, but I see it in the world too. You know, it's this call, the return of the goddess, the rebalancing of the rightful place of the goddess next to the god, the balancing of the masculine and feminine. And I'm curious about what the time of the feminine means to you. Yeah, the time of the feminine means slowing time down. It means, you know, COVID was such a good example of the time of the feminine, slowing down, baking bread, and not traveling as much, getting hands into soil 
getting hands into seeds. Uh, I remember seed companies were all out of stock in the spring, summer of 2020. Everyone wanted to go back to the earth. And that to me is the time of the feminine. It's not about gender, gender roles. It's about slowing down and becoming in sync with the earth. Very much our conversation today. And it means listening and being of service. I think that's an important piece too. Is, and I think that's the only way forward, frankly, is that our spiritual practices, the work that we do be in service to something greater than self. It be in service to more than manifestation rhetoric or the me culture, but we need to be in service to something greater. And the irony is we will manifest what we need or want when we are in service to something greater. And that is to me the time of the feminine. It's about understanding cycles of regeneration. That is literally the story of the goddess, right? It's not just life and death. It's life, death, regeneration, then life again. And that's the great teaching of the great mother, of Demeter and goddess and all the other creatrixes. So that's something that I meditate on and I, I think about a lot is the cycle of regeneration and um, that, to me, is the definition of the rise of the feminine and the time of the feminine. It's how can we be contributing to life, giving and restoring the cycles of regeneration. And for the final question, we ask every guest, if you were to speak as the Divine Mother herself a message to our audience, what would she have you say? Mm. Practice receiving the bounty that is already there and live from a place of generosity. And the more generous you are, the more abundance will find you. And celebrate life. Really celebrate life and allow every cell in your body to drink up and absorb the abundance and the beauty and the profundity of life. And allow that abundance and beauty to spill out of your hands like a chalice and feed and provide to others. And keep that cycle, keep remembering the cycle of receiving. Blessed be. And so it is. And so it is. Serafina, would you be generous enough to share with our guests where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at centerforsacredarts.com and serafinacapranos.com. And on Instagram, it's serafinacapranos. And we'll link everything in the show notes so you have ease in finding her and all the beautiful offerings that she has. This is such a delightful, nourishing, remembering conversation. Thank you mm, so much. Thank you. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way.